Hey friend, welcome back here to the Semi Seminary. Here we are, another week, another episode of our Bible study that we call the Bible for Grown-Ups. This week, <clears throat> pardon me, this week and for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be kind of dipping in and out of the book of Psalms that we find in Hebrew Scripture and, and introducing ourselves as to what this, this book as a whole week really means. We know some Psalms, a lot of us, well, we, we kind of know a lot of the 23rd Psalm, but we, we don't really know much about the Psalms as a book and, and, and what it means to the overall story of the people of God. So we're going to spend a couple of weeks kind of investigating exactly what the Psalms are. Tonight is just a straight up introduction but one that when we look right at Psalm 1, we find ourselves with a decision to make. Which path will we choose, the righteous or the wicked? I'll see you on the other side. You guys ready? Uh, we're going to spend uh, a couple of we're going to spend a couple of uh, Wednesdays looking at the Psalms, kind of examining what the Psalms are. Um, we're going to just start off very basically tonight with a foundation of what the Psalms are when they were written and uh, what we can gain out of them. A couple of things I think we can learn from uh, really reading and meditating on the Psalms. Also, as a foundation, we'll look tonight at Psalm 1. The Psalms as a book are a poetic collection of prayers. Um, they're part songs, they're part prayers, and they're part poems. Right? That's the kind of literary theme or genre that we find psalms characterized. There are 150 psalms. They're divided into five books. 73 of the 150 poems or prayers or songs are attributed to David. Two of the psalms are attributed to Solomon traditionally, right? And one is believed to have been written by Moses. So that leaves approximately one-third of the psalms written anonymously. Psalms are also compiled by the people of God after they were taken away from the promised land and what we know as the Babylonian captivity or the exile. Right? You might have heard. We think we've talked about what the exile is. So let's just do our little history lesson real quick with context. So we have uh, David. We have Saul first. David, it comes into power about 1000 B.C., uh, then about 930 B.C., the, uh, the unified kingdom splits into two. And we get the northern tribes revolting against Judah. And now instead of one nation, we actually have two. The northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom that was known as Judah. Okay? After about 200 years, the Assyrian Empire comes from the west to the east and invades and takes out the northern tribes in Israel, okay? So, 930 B.C. is when we get the second, the kingdom split. 
About 200 years go by, then the Assyrians next door to their west attack them. Okay, take them over. That's when many of the Israelites, kingdom of Israel, that's when many of the Israelites were then transported to the east in Assyria. Then a hundred years after that, the Babylonian Empire, which is today modern-day Iraq, okay? About a hundred years go by, and the Babylonian Empire knocks off the Assyrian Empire, okay? And so now everybody that was under the control of the Assyrians are now, now under the control of the Babylonians, okay? And then we find that in 587... 587 B.C., we see the fall of Jerusalem, and that's really when we, is what's comp completely known as the exile. Okay, that's, that's the loss of the temple and the deportation of many of the residents of these two kingdoms into these foreign enemy kingdoms. Okay, the exile. Um, in this moment, Right here, the people of God had lost everything. Everything they'd ever known. Their homes, their businesses, their farms. They've lost their loved ones. Their loved ones uh, have also lost family members and friends. They find themselves now scared, vulnerable, and enslaved in a foreign land. And it's from this place of slavery in a foreign land that the people of God began to put together this book known as the Psalms. This text that we have in front of us this evening. Okay, so again, there's many different writers of these Psalms written at many different times. But it's during this time of exile that people begin to compile and put these 150 poems together to make what will eventually become the book of Psalms. Okay, now we'll also note that the compiler sets apart two poems at the beginning. Next week we're going to look at Psalm 2, another poem, Psalm 1, Psalm 2, and then the last five psalms come together as a type of conclusion. Okay, so the first two psalms aren't necessarily song prayers or poems, they're poems, but they're not song prayers. This is an introduction. This is going to tell you about some of the truth that you will encounter in your life. That sometimes bad things happen to good people. And sometimes bad things happen to bad people because they deserve it and they sin. <laughs> that happens. And there's a lament that comes along with that with the people of God. There is a reluctance to continue on their idolatrous ways. There is a decision by the people of God to turn back to God. And in their lament, in their suffering, in their recognition of what had brought them to this place, the words of the Psalms are often written in reflection to that sadness. Okay? But these first two and the last five are kind of set apart for themselves. Again, like I'd said, Psalms 1 and 2 aren't prayers. They're an introduction. And these two Psalms work together to characterize two things, two things about the people of God 
One, that the people of God are those that are faithful to God's teaching. And two, the people of God are characterized, are known by those who await the Lord's promised king. All right, so this is very, this is, these are actually, although they're deeply rooted in sadness, these psalms are actually an exclamation of joy. This is encouraging words for the people of Israel. Right? But what do they have for us in the 21st century? Right? These aren't the stories of our forefathers, maybe spiritually, but more than likely not. This isn't of the story of our grandparents. Well, one, I think the Psalms can teach us a shared language of prayer. The Psalms are spoken in a language of grief and sorrow and pain, as well as thanksgiving and praise and joy. And Spoken, I'm sorry? And beauty. And beauty, absolutely. Spoken with words of lament, sadness, are also words rooted in faith. The Psalms, sometimes in their emotion, are raw, but honest. In other words, the Psalms are written in a language that describes our shared human existence, and it tries to connect us and cleave us to God in relationship. Number two, the Psalms also help us to initiate a conversation with God. So often, people don't connect with God Because they're scared. Why? Because they don't know what to say. We we don't know how to describe how we feel about God. We don't know if it's all right to tell God we're mad at God. It is, by the way, okay to tell God that you're mad at God. But sometimes we don't know. We don't have that confidence in it. It scares us. It frightens us to the point that we just choose not to communicate. Or... Or we do know how we feel, and again, we're just afraid to express it. The Psalms show us, they teach us how, with a language to start with. So let's look at the first Psalm. Psalm 1. Psalm 1, verse 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. But rather... Those who delight, those whose delight is in the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaves do not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. Why? For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Two paths of life. Psalm 1, in its five, six verses, presents to us as believers fork in the road. The path of the righteous versus the path of the wicked. What we see here is a theme that is expressed throughout the whole of the Bible. That people, or rather the people of God, 
are defined by their relationship with God and by their relationship with other people. At its most basic, people who are people of God can be defined as such by looking at, the, at their relationship with God and looking at their relationship with other people. And in this psalm is really embedded a question. It's hidden, but it's hidden in plain sight if we know how to see it. I mean, I mean as we read this psalm, we can hear it asking this question, right? Which path will you choose? Now, the author could have just said the path of the righteous leads to prosperity and the path of the wicked leads to destruction. I mean, that's the point here, right? But because this is a psalm and not a proverb, it's not written that way. It's written in a poetic way, but it does kind of sound like a proverb, doesn't it? Because it's a psalm, it's going to use metaphor and imagery. So that we as the readers can't, we, we can't just know what the words have to say, but in some way we feel the words that are said. And to be able to experience the difference between those two. So play along with me, close your eyes. Imagine a tree in a meadow. It's strong. Waves in the wind, a stream runs beside it. Now, allow your imagination to go beneath the ground, underground, and see the roots and their complexity, seeking after and finding the water. Strong, grounded, weighty, alive. That's the way of the righteous. Now, Imagine a corn husk that's been peeled off of a dead corn stalk. It falls to the ground and it quiveringly barely touches the ground. It's so light and dry. The wind blows and it wisps the husk into the air and carries it a few feet. And wherever the wind will blow, this dry, frail husk will be taken away. It's frail. It's unattached. It's easily broken. The way of the wicked. Okay, you can open this. So which will we choose? Now, let me talk briefly about what the psalm is saying, what the psalm's not saying, okay? This is one thing that I think is super important right up front, to uh, grasp, to understand about this particular psalm. This psalm is saying the final outcome for the righteous is prosperity. It's saying that the final outcome of the wicked is and always will be destruction. Final outcome. The psalm doesn't say anything about the present. No. In fact... We see this truth all the time. We see all of the time wicked people who have no concern for God. Those who have no concern for their fellow man or fellow woman. They seem to get ahead all of the time. In the present, 
while the righteous seem to struggle and suffer. And it seems like every time they turn around, they're taking another beating. But because their roots are well-grounded and well-watered, they can take it. The psalmist also points something out, I think, here that's very important, how easy it is to follow the path of the wicked. Notice the progression in verse 1 of action. First, the wicked walks, then it stands, then it sits. Walk in the world, maybe stand around for a bit to make ourselves comfortable, and then maybe sit. It's subtle. It's tricky in the change. And we've talked about this the last three or four weeks. That trick is a lie. The lie isn't that the way of the wicked is better. The lie is that we can convince ourselves. We are superior at convincing ourselves that we can be a tree and we can be strong and we can be tall, but I don't need the water. <laughs> Verse 2, this, friends, is the fork in the road. Streams of water are the delight of the law, the meditation on the law, the taking on board the word of God. The lie is I don't need to be planted in the word of God. Maybe I don't even need God at all, right? I don't need church. I'm a good person. Or, or hey, I go to church, what do you want? Besides, who has time for Bible study? Right? Not only that, I already know everything there is to know about the Bible. If I went down there on a Wednesday night, you wouldn't be able to teach me anything I don't already know. <laughs> right? The lie is I can be a tree, but I really don't need the water. Now, knowing, as I think you all do, the cultural and historical and geographic realities of the people of God and where they lived and when they lived, you know that water to these people is super important. Right? Water is no more important to their lives than water is to our lives today, except to say it was a lot more difficult to get plenty of water then than there is today, right? The need for water for humans, this is one of those things that we all can relate to. You don't have to live in the Middle East. Spend three or four days without drinking any water and see how you feel. We all need water. And this issue of water and God being the representation of the living springs of water is also something that the prophet Jeremiah talks about. Now, Jeremiah also is a prophet that's right in here during this time period, the time period that when Jerusalem is about to fall, he's making the same arguments to the people about you're, you're, you're not crying now because you're going after false gods, but when God reckons you, you will be crying. He also wrote the, the, his companion book of prophecy. That's called the Lamentations. It's a whole book about crying about the people of Israel. And he, he uses this same metaphor 
in his prophecy in 2 and 13. He says, uh, my people, he's saying God has spoken to me and I'm repeating God's words to you, okay? My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Now, we think, okay, I don't, all right, what's that mean? Because I don't, uh, a cistern, like I don't even know what a cistern is. I think I might know, but I don't know, what's that? So springs of living water, right? They flow naturally. They, they often flow continually. They're also moving water. We know something about moving versus stagnant water, don't we, right? Moving water. Water that can bring life to us. Stagnant water. Water that comes, that we store perhaps in a cistern. So they would, they would dig these big holes in the ground. And they would uh, try to waterproof them by plastering them, doing stuff like that. And then they would, they would use them for one of two things. They would either use them for grain, the storage of grain, or they would uh, use them to store rainwater. But this water, because it's not living and free-flowing, this water becomes stagnant. It becomes full of bugs. It becomes not life-giving, but with dangerous bacteria that might lurk in the brackish water, it might be life-threatening. Do we see the, the perhaps metaphor here between God's truth being springs of fresh, life-giving, running water and this man-made alternative that's really just a hole in the ground and full of stagnant, dirty water? And Jeremiah is saying, and the psalmist is saying, you cannot replace the life-giving water of God with any other substitute. Now, Jeremiah here, in his particular instance, Jeremiah is actually specifically talking about, he's, he's saying, God is the living springs of water, and the idols that you're now worshiping, those are just man-made alternatives that are are counterfeit at best. And what's going to end up happening is you're going to go out one day and you're going to depend on the water that's in the cistern, but because it's broken and it doesn't hold water efficiently, you may go and, and while depending on the water that's there, you might not find anything. That cistern is empty. We all need water. Psalm 1 describes the people of God as a people who depend on living water. And Psalm 1 teaches us that nothing else can flourish without being rooted in the Word of God. Maybe you're well-rooted, maybe you're growing, but maybe it's been quite some time since we felt that way with God. And honestly, maybe it's felt more like a drought than anything else. Maybe we're confused. Maybe we're disappointed. Maybe we don't even have the right words to say. We're just plain tired of the brokenness that we seem to see every day. And God can feel so distant. 
And just like that corn husk, we start to drift with the wind wherever the wind takes us. And we start to dig our own cisterns. So, we're at a fork in the road. The righteous or the wicked? Which way do you choose? Amen? Amen. Any questions? You know, when I look at the Psalms, I hope this will bear out not only in tonight's episode, but but over the next couple of weeks. When I look at the Psalms, and, and if you've been listening to any of these podcasts before, you know that for me, the historical context in which those words were written mean everything. And, and finding these, these words being compiled, put together as words of inspiration and joy and a way to communicate with God in, 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 in one of the worst periods of time in the people of God during the Babylonian exile. Really, really gives us, I think, hope. Because our lives so far have often very much felt like some sort of exile. For those of us that that might be really dedicated believers, we might wonder why we aren't closer to God and, and why do we see all of the horrible things happening in our world. Maybe we're further from God. And we think there can't possibly be a God that loves us. And this is a lost world because look at all the bad things that happen in this world. Psalms give us a long-term view of God's plan for us. That even in the midst of calamity, there's hope. There's hope because of God's faithfulness. It's something that the people of God recognized in the throes of one of their worst episodes. Something that caused their hearts to turn back towards God and completely change the story of humanity. Now that's something to think about. Anyway, I hope until next week, I hope you'll continue to join us as we look here at the Psalms. Until next week, friend, be blessed. Be blessed.